Well, good morning. It's great to be back here at the Eureka Church and, and give the message this morning. Well, today's message is titled, A Passion for Souls. And it's based on Acts 17, verses 22 through 31, and we'll be reading that in a little bit. In the last year and a half, COVID-19 has left a path of destruction throughout the globe. Now, while economies in, in most countries are rebounding, the country of Greece was hit particularly hard by the pandemic because of its heavy reliance on tourism. Greece is a relatively small country with a population of less than 11 million people. But its influence on world history is significant. It is in Greece where the Olympics originated 2,800 years ago. Philosophy, as we know it today, finds its roots in Greece. And at one point during the reign of Alexander the, the Great, in 330 BC, the Greek Empire stretched from Macedonia to the north, Egypt to the south, and bordering India on the east. But that had all changed when the Roman Empire was in control of the Greek territory by 60 AD. But the Greek capital of Athens was still the center of the Stoic philosophers. Well, the council of the elders of this city was called the Areopagus, and they met at what was referred to as Mars Hill, near the Acropolis. And this brings us to today's scripture reading in Acts 17, verses, uh, verses 22 to 31, as we go on a journey to Athens, Greece. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who has made the world and everything in it, he who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhibit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, 
We ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. <clears throat> Friends, nearly a quarter of the New Testament is made up by the 13 letters from Paul. His letters are among some of the most searched texts in the entire Bible. The website BibleStudyTools.com lists the top 25 Bible searches on their website. Nine of those are from the letters of Paul. Now Paul's sermons, on the other hand, are much less recognized. The book of Acts recorded seven of them, one in a synagogue in Syria, two of them are live testimonies before a crowd in Jerusalem and before King Agrippa, two of them are just brief dialogues with some individuals, and two of them are open-air sermons to Gentiles, one in Lystra, Turkey, and the one in Athens that we just read about. Now you may ask, what brought Paul to Athens? His passion for souls started after his conversion on the road to Damascus, after he lost sight for three days. And through a miracle, his sight was restored. Pastor Russ preached on this last week. Now, Paul was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling class. And in Philippians 3, he describes his human heritage from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Previously, prior to his conversion, his mission in life had been persecuting Christians. But his conversion was like a switch that was turned on. And in Acts 9.17 we read, Ananias laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now from that point forward, Paul became one of the most fervent evangelists with a passion for souls. He set out on four missionary journeys to anyone willing to listen. His first journey took him through Syria into Turkey. His second journey led him to Greece, to cities like Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth. Paul considered Greece a fertile ground to reach hungry souls, spreading the good news of the gospel. First and foremost, 
to the Jews living in those countries, but also to the Gentiles. The Bible tells us in Acts that the Jewish leaders became jealous and chased them out of Thessalonica and from the town of Berea. But a group of believers rescued Paul and took him as far away as Athens. Now, while in Athens, he became deeply distressed with a city full of idols. Yet, it aroused in him the power to spread the good news about Jesus, manifested in a passion for souls. Well, this reminds me of a story that I heard years ago about Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 1800s. His name is memorialized in places like Moody Radio and the Moody Church and the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. The story goes that every time Moody finished a sermon, a few old ladies would walk to, up to him after the service and said, Mr. Moody, you preached a good sermon, but we are praying that you get the power. Each Sunday, they would have come up to him again. Good sermon, but we are praying that you get the power. Now, Moody was getting slightly annoyed <laughs> with the repeated comments from these old ladies. But by the fall of 1871, the prayers of these ladies were answered. When Moody was in New York City, ready to take the boat to England, and the power of God fell upon him as he walked through the streets in the midst of the hustle bustle of Manhattan. He went into a house of a friend and asked that he might have a room all by himself. And he stayed alone for hours. And the Holy Spirit came upon him, filling his soul with overwhelming joy. Moody was never the same after that. Like a switch had been turned on, he started preaching with more authority, more fervor, and more people came to Christ. He now had love for people, and his whole being had transformed into a passion for souls. History was made on his trip to England. People from all over London came to hear him. The evangelist lived for another 28 years, and according to Christianity.com, D.L. Moody is believed to have led an estimated million people to Christ. So it was with Paul. As he walked through that ancient city of Athens, he is shocked at what he sees. But he addresses the crowd by flattering them at first. I see that you are very religious, but folks, let me tell you, you are missing the essence of what it is that you believe in. 
Paul's message leads the audience to the truth of God as the maker of heaven and earth. And he concludes with God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because, because in the end, we will all be judged. Jesus, who, raised, who was raised from the dead, wants all men to be saved. Now, Paul tells this with such conviction and passion. Well, you may wonder why. Because Paul knows the truth. Because he himself encountered Christ. Knowing the truth brings about in Paul a deep-rooted conviction and an urge to share the good news with anyone receptive to listen to the message. He was a tent maker, but he dedicated his whole being spreading the word. The truths of the gospel and the power of the Spirit brought forth in him an innate desire to help others come to Christ. Nothing seems to face him. He is shipwrecked three times. He spent day and night in the open sea. He was beaten with rods, once stoned and left for dead. And he finds himself in prison several times. It is Paul's sense of purpose that drives him, no matter what adversity he faces. Because he knows Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no salvation without Jesus Christ. That knowledge is the core of his passion for souls. And let me illustrate this with an example. Let me illustrate it with an example how knowledge drives that passion. We grow this iris variety called Telstar. And this variety is unique because it completely opens up. There are many other varieties out there that are easier to grow, much easier to grow, but they don't open as well. The flower comes about halfway and then it shrivels up. Well, those varieties are actually the main reason for the negative perception of that iris doesn't last and it won't open. Well, we have grown this Telstar variety for 30 years. And I know that Telstar will guarantee to open and I get very passionate talking about this because I have seen the disappointment with all the other iris. And I want to tell the story of the great attributes of this telescope and how it gives a better experience to the consumer. Paul spoke with passion because he had encountered the Lord at his conversion. And he was filled with the power. Paul wrote in Romans 1.14, To Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and ignorant, 
I owe a debt to preach to every person. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the life of all who believe in it. So Paul had this amazing ability to reach people with sound reasoning and making a profound case for Christ. After he spoke at the Areopagus in Athens, some walked away, but others followed him. Greece became one of the early strongholds of Christianity, of the early church. And today, 92% of the population in Greece are believers in Christ. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And after his three-year ministry, he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, now it's up to you. You will be my witnesses. You will be my ambassadors. You will be the carriers of the message of salvation to a world that desperately needs to hear it. The Holy Spirit will give you help and power. That is exactly what happened with Paul. As his passion for souls was destined to reach anyone willing to listen because every single one counts now let me illustrate this with an example so we grow flowers but it starts with bulbs and along the way we lose some bulbs before they finally grow into a flower some of the bulbs already start rooting during transport during transport in the ocean container and the roots dry up and then they get damaged. Some of the bulbs get bruised and they develop a disease like a gray mold or penicillin. Some of the bulbs are lost to a disease called fusarium and the entire bulb just rots away. Other times while planting, some of the bulbs may fall on the floor and are lost. Some that are planted may be planted sideways, or even worse, upside down. Believe it or not, that happens. <laughs> While growing in the cooler, occasionally the sprouts grow a little bit too tall, and they get damaged before they get into the greenhouse. And while picking, while picking the flowers, some are accidentally broken by the flower pickers. Throughout the growing process, the flower farmer tries to ensure that no flowers are lost. He tries to save as many as he possibly can. So it is with our Lord and Savior. He wants all souls to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, no one should perish. Friends, there is a hunger among people. Sometimes they're looking without knowing what they are looking for. A hunger of the soul. And in Acts 13:47, the Lord commanded Paul by saying, 
I have set you to be the light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, salvation is a gift that is available to anyone. But it's not always perceived as a gift. D.L. Moody once said, How many of you are willing to reject Jesus Christ and sign a letter with these words? To the King of Heaven, today one of your followers brought me the message of eternal life. But hereby I reject the offer. I despise the gift. And I turn my back on you. That makes you wonder, why would anyone reject a gift? Well, let me tell you a story. A few years ago, before preaching uh, in Blue Lake on a Sunday, I went through the neighborhood in Blue Lake on a Friday night, and I left some bunches of lilies at porches and in, in, in the front doors with a sermon flyer stuffed in for the upcoming service on that, on that Sunday. At 11.20 p.m. on a Friday night, I received an email saying, I found a large bunch of lilies on my porch. Obviously, they are not meant for me. They must be for someone else who have lived here before. If that's the case, I will leave them outside so you can come pick them up tomorrow morning on Saturday. Well, I responded to her in an email and told her, these lilies are for you. They are a gift. Enjoy them. It's like that with the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life. It is a gift and it's free. But just like that bunch of lilies, we have a choice to make. We put them in a vase of water and they will bloom and we will cherish them. And we, we, we will be filled with joy. But on the other hand, if we do not, they will dry up and wither and die. So it is with Jesus. We have a choice to make. Now you may ask, what do I need to do to get this gift? Here's the answer. Say this simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I will repent of my sins. I want to trust and follow you and accept you as Lord and Savior. When we do that, the Holy Spirit starts to live inside of us. Friends, let our hearts be filled with joy and have the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead and the light will shine upon us. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.